morning, everyone. So uh, you, you don't know this, but you're actually second service today. There were a group of cows who tried to make their way across the street. And our bovine buddies only made it as far as the gate and apparently felt like, well, we can't go around that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you happen to look to your right or left and, and there's a cow sitting there, I, you know, this is, this is where we live. <laughs> We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles there, Exodus 20, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male, or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Powerful, beautiful words of encouragement. And I find it really interesting that on the list in verse 10 is your cattle. So maybe that's why they tried to cross the road this morning. <laughs> they just wanted a part of what we're experiencing. Well, I, I'd like you to keep your finger in Exodus chapter 20 and turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we seek today to get a handle on this idea of what we say in Hebrew, what the Jews would say, Shabbat. To this day, Shabbat is kept by Jews around the world, is kept in Israel. Shabbat, every Friday, things start to shut down. Actually, in the morning on Fridays, the markets are full as people are there preparing for Shabbat, but by afternoon, people are disappearing off the streets. By Friday evening, Shabbat begins and runs all the way through Saturday, which is great if you're an Israeli. If you're a tourist visiting, it's lousy because the food is terrible on Friday night and Saturday morning. Just saying, they just don't prepare anything for you. <laughs> but on this, this important day, it, it, this is a day, think about this. It's been kept for 3,500 years. Sabbath. It's been maintained among the Jewish people for that long. And of course, Jesus got all into the Sabbath, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Mark chapter six, watch what happens here. Picking up in verse seven, we're told that he, Jesus, summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, Stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off your soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Now watch this. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Mind-blowing. Can you imagine? It wasn't just Jesus doing the healing. It wasn't just Jesus casting out the demons. It wasn't only Jesus doing this remarkable supernatural ministry. He calls the 12 and he sends them out to do it. And I think, Lord, if, there's, if there was ever a time I would have liked to have been alive, other than now, and I'm glad I'm here now, it would have been then and it would have been, could I, could I just for one day be one of the apostles? Could I just for one day experience the exhilaration of such an evangelistic mission? Can you imagine these guys going out? Peter, healing people, and, and John, and James, and Bartholomew. I mean, they're all out there, and they're, they're having this incredible experience. And think about the hope and the healing power of their ministry. What a buzz, man. And I can tell you, as a pastor, there are days where everything's clicking and everything's going right and people are getting saved and people are in the waters of baptism and responding to teaching and, and praying and, and you see days like that and you can run on that kind of day a long time. You're gonna have weeks and weeks of zero response from anyone, but man, you have one day like that and it just, it, it hypes you up. 
Think about the glorious sense of kingdom work that they accomplished. And by the way, this is the first time that they're called apostles. That is, sent ones. He's going to call them that. Actually, Mark will refer to them in that way. Look at verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. So they come back after this amazing supernatural mission and gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, just that conversation would have been fun. Oh, Jesus, you're not going to believe this, man. 20 demons. I cast out 20, and John's like, yeah, well, I got 22, so what up? And they're all having this conversation together about this marvelous ministry. And what does Jesus say? Well, keep going. Go for it. Get out. Go do it. Do some more. No. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And you know, at the end of that story, I realized that's where I'd rather be than anywhere else. You can be in the midst of mission, in the midst of ministry, in the midst of power and supernatural things taking place and all that excitement. But man, I would trade it all just to be in a secluded place with Jesus. Just to get out and rest with him, to hang out with him on, on a hillside of the Galilee. Just to, to listen to him, to tell jokes with him, to laugh with him and pray with him and hear from him in a place of peace and quiet. It's interesting, the word rest for a while is a single word in the Greek, it's anapowo. Anapowo, which means to take it easy, to give yourself rest. We talk power, he talks anapowo. You know, we say, get busy, he says, come away. We say rush, he says, rest, rest. And so we come to the 10 words, the fourth of the 10 words, actually. You shall have no other gods before me was first in verse three. Verse four is you shall not make for yourself an idol. And then the third was you shall not take the name of Yahweh Ka'eloche, the Lord your God, in vain. And then remember Shabbat to keep it holy. Now, last week, we saw that loving God encapsulates the first half of the commandments. So we get down here to the fourth command, the command of Shabbat, and this is still about loving God. Don't forget that. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said the first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And literally, it, it gives us the, the outline for the 10 words. The first half, loving God. The second half, loving your neighbor as yourself. But to love the Lord your God with a strong heart and a steady soul and a sound mind requires a relationship with him. It requires resting in him. More than anything else, this day, Shabbat, is about resting in the love of God. That has always and only been the point of the Sabbath. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord's voice booms off the top of Mount Sinai and the people tremble below. Remember, he says, and the word is zakor, which means to be mindful of, to pay heed, but it's more than simple recall. It's a remembrance that is focused. Remember this day, memorialize, we might say, memorialize this day. Now, what's interesting is when the Lord spoke this, the sons of Israel had already been experiencing Shabbat. They already had a, a tangible and an actual picture of Shabbat long before this, at least three months before this. If you'll turn back to Exodus chapter 16. Note this in verse 21 of Exodus 16. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now, you know what we're talking about? Manna, right. So the Lord began to provide the manna. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. 
This is what he spoke. Tomorrow is a Shabbat observance, a holy Shabbat to the Lord. And that's the first time the word Sabbath is used in the Bible. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil with all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. And so they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered and it did not become foul nor was there any worm in it. See, any other day they tried to keep it overnight. The next morning they found it was covered in maggots. But on this day they got double the amount. They get up in the morning and that secondary amount is still fresh. This is supernatural bread from heaven. And so on that day, they go, hey, hey, we have, it, it, it lasted, Moses. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. This is what the Lord told you. Well, Moses said, eat it today. For today is a Shabbat to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath or Shabbat, there will be none. But what do the people do? Verse 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather. God says, rest, we say rush. God says, settle in, we say gather. <laughs> Just take it easy. So they have this actual tangible picture of Shabbat. Even before he commands them to memorialize, to keep, to remember Shabbat, he starts to show them that there's provision for rest. Did you hear me? There's provision for rest. There's provision in rest. We don't tend to think that way. We think when we're resting, our mind, if you're anything like me, your mind starts to spin a little bit. You think, oh, I got, I got stuff to do. <laughs> I have things I could be doing right now. My feet are up and I'm going, I'm really tired, but there's so much I have to get done. So we go out to gather and there isn't any bread because the bread is in the rest. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instruction? See, the Lord has given you the Shabbat. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out from his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. He shows them first, even before he commands it. He gives them visible, tangible explanation. And again, there's a principle at work here. When rest is needed and we work anyway, we don't produce very well. When I need to rest, but I'm going to push through it, the work is not as fruitful. And here, the Lord formalizes finally Shabbat in the 10 words, saying, remember, remember this. When Moses goes back up the mountain to receive the tablets of the law, as he will, God will repeat the Shabbat command with another word. He first says, remember, but then in Exodus 31, 13, he says, you shall surely observe my Shabbat. The word observe there can also be translated keep. You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So rabbis today pick up on these two words. They say these define Shabbat, or at least the Jewish response to the command of Shabbat. It's shamar v'zakor. Shamar, keep, observe. V'zakor, remember. So keep Shabbat. Remember Shabbat. And there was a Jewish poet, late 19th century, named Asher Ginsberg, changed his name to Ahad Ha'am, which is more fun to say, and he said, and you've probably heard it before, more than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews. More than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews. How does a people stay a people for 3,500 years, even without a homeland for 1,800 plus years of that? More than Shabbat, more than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews. This is a principle that runs throughout scripture and really speaks to the heart of God. Isaiah 30, verse 15, thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. Most are not willing. That's part of the sin nature, part of the sin condition of humanity is we have an unwillingness to find our rest in the Lord, to be at peace with God. 
Many people see rest, days off, Shabbat as a complete waste of time. For example, this comes right out of a Time Magazine article <laughs> I tucked away a long time ago, January 13th, 1997. And it was entitled, In Search of the Real Bill Gates, who's still making a splash today. Journalist Isaac, uh, or Walt Isaacson asked Bill Gates why he didn't believe in God. Listen to this. Why don't you believe in God, Mr. Gates? His answer, quote, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. He said, there's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. And you know what? It's not just Bill Gates. That's the mentality of our world. That's why Sunday is no longer a day of rest in our culture. That's why Saturdays have been overshadowed throughout history. That's why people don't rest when they could rest. That's why the Jews forsook what God would call, and we'll come to this later on, the Sabbath year. Every seventh year, they're supposed to take the whole year off and let the ground lie fallow, let the ground rest. And they didn't do it for 490 years, so God sent them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years so that his land would rest what the people did not understand. Again, Bill Gates says, there's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. I think about what Jesus did on Shabbat alone. Much less what Jesus accomplished. How long has Bill Gates been at it now? How long do we have Microsoft now? I don't even know, two decades, three decades of hard work and labor to, to really have an impact on the world. And I think about what Jesus accomplished in three and a half years. Ministry, compassion prayer. And we see often in those three and a half years, he didn't just drive straight through. We see Jesus at rest often with the Father. How efficient was that allocation of time, Mr. Bill? When Bill Gates focus, it focuses now on a vaccine for COVID-19, perhaps with some kind of little implant that if we all take it, then we can be traced and tracked, as that's all setting up for the big one coming. That's his focus, a vaccine. And I think about in just three and a half years, Jesus came to provide his own pure blood, which is for eternal life. No comparison. And in what could be another clear answer to the focus on Shabbat as nothing more than rest for the weary, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote back in 1951 in a Jewish classic work called The Sabbath, he wrote, man is not a beast of burden and the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of his work. Hear that, because that oftentimes is even the Christian attitude toward Shabbat. Even a Jewish attitude sometimes, that it's about taking rest so that we can become more efficient. No, it's not about efficiency. And it's not about a lack of efficiency either. It is about resting in the Lord. Resting in the Lord. And no life is more efficient than the one which rests in Jesus. Shabbat is not about taking a lazy or idle Saturday. It's about resting in the Lord. In fact, did you know that Work is part of the Shabbat cycle. It's even part of the command. If you look at verse nine, he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God commands as part of it, you are supposed to be at work. You're not supposed to be lazy. That's not the point of this at all. The apostle Paul would later say in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. You wanna dine at the table of the fellowship? You put in the work. You do the labor. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The question is, do we work for the day off or do we take the day off to be ready for the next week of work? And you know what? Neither is the correct view. Both miss the heart of Shabbat. But, but let's back up a bit. Let's define Shabbat as the Bible defines Shabbat with three Hebrew words that'll help us characterize the day. Turn over to chapter 23. And look at verse 12, Exodus 23, 12. And we've been talking about already on Wednesday night that if, if the 10 words or the 10 commands are the forest, then the book of the covenant which follows is the trees. 
and, and reveals to us each one of the commands more specified and, and drawn out larger. And so we see the same thing with Shabbat. Chapter 23, verse 12, six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest and that the son of your female slave as well as your stranger may refresh themselves. Three descriptive words in that verse of Shabbat. The first one is tisbot. And tisbot actually comes from Shabbat. It's the same word, it's just a verb form. And so it's Shabbat. You see that on the seventh day you shall cease. Cease. Which is the good definition for Shabbat. Cease from work. Cease from labor. It's a rest period. It's a time to come away from work. Come away from the work. The second word we see there is that your ox and your donkey may rest. Yanua. Yanua means settle down, remain. I like that it's tied to your ox and your donkey because you think of a word that you would use with, with animals of such a nature. You'd say, whoa, whoa, settle down, boy, settle down. I'm sure that's what Dean was doing as the cows were trying to cross into the uh, church property. Whoa, and that's the idea behind Yanua. It's a settle down, cease from your work, settle down, and then the final word used there, as well as your stranger, they may refresh themselves. The word refresh is yunapesh, which means take a breath, take a breath. Cease from your labor, settle down, take a breath. Boy, what a sentence. I mean, just saying that, that's Shabbat. Cease from your labor. I, I, I got to get it done, Lord. I've got so much. I don't know how I'm going to handle What am I going to? Cease from your labor. Settle down. How often in your life do you need to hear the Lord just say that? That's something I have heard recently. Rick, settle down. Settle down. Whoa, boy. And take a breath. Just breathe. In the Jewish Talmud, Shabbat Tractate 10b, if you'd like to look that up. The Sabbath day is referred to as, quote, God's precious and guarded treasure given as a gift to the Jewish people. God's precious treasure. This is not just kicking back and taking the day off and sitting on the shores of a beach with a corona virus. <laughs> this is about rest in the Lord. If you flip over to Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah 58, verse 13, the prophet speaks of Shabbat and the heart behind it. And he says, if because of the Shabbat, this is the Lord speaking, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call Shabbat a delight, the holy day of Yahweh honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will delight, you will take delight in the Lord, in Yahweh. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. If you'll just stop doing what you normally do, if you will cease and take a breath, and by the way, the word breath is spirit. If you'll breathe in my spirit, cease striving. As Psalm 46, 10 says, know that I am God. See, that's the part of Shabbat that is often missed even among Jews today. It's not just to cease from work. It's to cease from work and know God, to rest in the Lord. Now, the word of Shabbat is unique among the 10 words, and I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, Aside from being the longest single commandment, so that's unique, but number one, it's the only one that initiates what you could call a ritual observation. So of the 10 words, this is the one that they were to keep, to remember, to memorialize, to do over and over, remember the Shabbat, to keep it holy. To keep it holy, that is, so as to make it a holy day, distinctive, thoughtful, intentional. 
Memorialize this, my people. So what'd they do? Sadly, Jewish tradition came to quantify Shabbat. They came up with 39 different categories of Shabbat prohibitions. And I printed them up. I thought about reading through all of them. There's like 10 pages here of the Mishnah on Shabbat and talking about how it's to be done. But we'll just look at the 39 categories. And within each category, there's multiple listings of what you cannot do on this day because we have to memorialize the day. We have to make the day happen. And so listen to these. The primary categories of labor prohibited on Shabbat, which number 40 less one. So 39. They are grouped in accordance with their function. One who sows, one who plows, one who reaps, and one who gathers sheaves into a pile, and one who threshes, removing the kernel from the husk, and one who winnows, threshed grain in the wind, and one who selects the inedible waste from the edible. Don't do that. <laughs> one who grinds, one who sifts, one who kneads, one who banks, one who shears wool. One who whitens wool, one who combs the fleece, and one who dyes it, one who spins it, one who stretches it, the one who, who constructs two meshes, tying the threads of the warp to the base of the loom, one who weaves two threads, one who severs two threads, one who ties a knot. Don't tie your shoe. You need loafers on the Sabbath. One who unties a knot, one who sews two stitches with a needle, one who tears a fabric in order to sew two stitches, one who traps a deer or any living creature, one who slaughters, one who flays, one who salts its hide, one who tans its hide, one who smooths it, one who cuts it, one who writes two letters. I'm not talking about two letters to two friends. We're talking about two letters. A, B, you've just violated Sabbath. You can't even write your name. <laughs> One who writes two letters, it is forbidden. One who erases in order to write two letters. One who builds, one who dismantles, one who extinguishes a fire, one who kindles a fire, one who strikes a blow with a hammer to complete the production of the process of the vessel, one who carries out an object from domain to, to domain. All these are primary categories of labor and they number 40 less one. Wow. And then you start to read through the categories of what you can and can't do and extrapolate, spread that out into today's modern world. And in Israel, if you get on an elevator at Shabbat, you cannot press a button. They have Shabbat elevators. Some of you have ridden these accidentally. You get on one and it stops at every floor automatically. If you're at a high rise, that's a real bummer when you're trying to get down to the bus on time. Don't press a button because that could strike a spark. Violating the Sabbath. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable how much work has gone into this. It is more demanding than the restrictions of COVID-19. Amazing. It's the only one that initiates a rich, ritual observation. It's also the only ritual in Torah with a universal application. That is, this is not only for the Jewish people. Yes, Shabbat has kept the Jews, and the Jews then have kept Shabbat, but it is a universal application. Anyone who wants to enter into rest with Jesus is invited. Anyone who wants to take the day, the invitation goes out. Remember, we talked about the entirety of the 10 words as God spoke from the mountain, and the rabbis say it was heard in the 70 languages of the earth at the time that the Ten Commandments truly are universal and worldwide. And so here comes Shabbat, come and rest, a day in seven. And by the way, note that it's a complete number of seven people who are listed in the commandment of Shabbat. Verse 10, the seventh day is a Shabbat of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner. Seven listings. The idea is an idea of completion, that everyone needs rest, that there is a complete rest in the Lord for all who will come to it. Even the animals are included. Let the animals rest. Now, granted, the animals without the soul are not resting so much in the Lord as the people, but because the animals are resting, the people are resting because they're not working the animals. And the people are finding their rest, all people. And there, it's not... 
There's no discrimination for Shabbat. Doesn't matter what your race or creed is. Didn't matter if you were a, a servant or a master in a household. Didn't matter if you're a male or female. If you were an adult, a child, didn't matter. It was for everybody to come and take rest, universal application. All were free. And rightly so, because not only is it the only one that initiates this ritual observation every week and have this universal application, but it is, number three, the only commandment that is rooted in creation. Rooted in creation. For in six days, verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed Shabbat and made it holy. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where the Bible tells us, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his works, which he had created, which God had created and made. God rested on the seventh day. Was God exhausted? Was the creator of all things weary, worn out, spent, tired, pooped? Had God just... Whew, I got to have a break from this universe. Psalm 121 verse 3 says, He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isaiah 40 verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. And having made us, think about this, he made us in his image so he knows how we tick. He knows how we function best. So with very creation, he built in the pattern, cessation from work, a weekly day of rest, a time of refreshment built into creation. And think about this because it speaks to our culture today, the world in which we live. Keeping and remembering Shabbat consistently would also have reminded humanity that God created the world. If the world had maintained Shabbat, if people would stop and take this day, the day alone would be a weekly reminder that would quiet all the mouths of evolution, that would shut down all the false science that opposes that God created the world. If we just had remembered once a week that on the seventh day God rested, we would remember our creator. Job chapter 38 verse four, where were you, God said, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? See, in establishing, in establishing Shabbat, the Lord said, I am your creator. And when you rest in me one day in seven, you will remember consistently throughout history that I'm the one who did it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to forget. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, our creator still has a hold on God's green earth. He still holds on even to this very day. That is the green old deal. Now process what I'm saying here because there are those who are trying to push a green new deal. What's the green new deal all about? It's about sinking all kinds of money and, and resource and energy into saving the world, saving the environment. Only one can do that. And that is God, our creator. And he has this planet. He's got it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be good stewards of it. I absolutely believe in the stewardship of the earth that he's given us to care for. 
But that's a completely different thing than the panic of the climate change activist. Hey, is there climate change? I don't know. Maybe the climate's changing. It's a little hotter today than it was yesterday. There's a change. But my point is not to be a climate change denier. Even if climate change could be absolutely scientifically proven, it changes nothing. The fact is God has this world until he's done. And when he's done, by the way, when God lets go, no environmental legislation is going to stop the destruction. I can't say, well, AOC signed off on this, Lord. <laughs> Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. And he's holding on to it right now. I've told you before, you get inside the atom, it should blow apart. This world should not hold together. And yet, Against all science, everything holds together. Why? Because he holds it together and will until he's through. What might the world be like had we all simply accepted the heart of the fourth word? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy, weekly in observation, universal in application, rooted in creation. But at its heart, the fourth word, remember this, don't forget this, was given for one primary purpose. And it's not rest from the previous week. And it's not rest for the coming week. It was never given to be a legal observance with prohibitions and restrictions. No, Shabbat has ever always been about a relationship that rests in God. That's the point of the day, that it would bleed into the week of a person who is resting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless if you're living in 2020 and all the pandemic panic, or you're living in times, I, th I think about just a couple of years ago how easy life was and how we didn't know it was coming. Think about times in our lives that, boy, we thought they were so tough and then stuff like this happens. But you know what? God has not changed. He is the same when? Yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ never changes. The world is going to go through all kinds of upheaval. In fact, the world has not even begun to see the upheaval that's coming, according to the Bible. But God is the same. Rest in him. Shabbat is an ordinance, it's a command that comes from the deep, deep love of Yahweh Ka'elohe, the Lord your God. He gives it out of his loving heart. He established one day in seven so that we could learn to rest in him, the other six as well. That we could trust him and know that he is our God. Now, some, even within Christianity, some such as Seventh-day Adventists, will say you can only worship on a Saturday. Shabbat, for the, the Jewish Shabbat, is Saturday. The seventh day. Sunday's the first day of the week. And, and so Seventh-day Adventists jump on that train and say, you can't worship any other day. It's got to be on Saturday. And I come back and say, well, again, that's restrictive. If you're saying you can only worship on a Saturday... The Bible says, Colossians 2.17, that the Sabbath, among other observances, are a mere shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So I would say to my Seventh-day Adventist friends, if you want to worship on a Saturday, fine. You can do that. No problem. Worship on a Saturday. We worship in spirit and, the, and in truth, which means we worship all the time. I worship on a Saturday. I worship on a Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are all good days for worship because we're not restricted to a day. And to the Christian who says, I got to be in worship on Sunday, but worship's no other time, I say you're missing the point. We're called to worship all the time. Why do we assemble on a Sunday? Well, because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday and the early church thought that's a pretty good day to worship. That's a good day for, for the assembly to gather together and to meet. 
Speaking of meat, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists won't eat at Five Guys either. I'll let them deal with Jesus on that one. But the point is, where Shabbat is concerned, please hear me, where Shabbat is concerned, Jesus could not be more crystal clear when he said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We were not created to keep the law. The law was given to keep us. Turning your Bibles over to Mark chapter 2, because now we're ready to really get into the study this morning. Have you ever noticed, Mark chapter 2, you turn there. Have you ever noticed how active Jesus always seemed to be on the Sabbath day? I mean, if there's any one day of the week that Jesus seemed to be the most busy, it seems like it's that day. And in fact, after reviewing this with me, you may agree that Jesus not only worked on the Sabbath, acted on the Sabbath, did much on the Sabbath, but he was calculated and intentional to do so on Shabbat. He deliberately comes into the world and starts breaking up the fallow ground of religious dogma and tradition. Watch this. Jesus first inaugurated his ministry on Shabbat, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. That was an exciting day. And after that, it seems as though he just couldn't sit still on the Sabbath day. In Mark chapter 1, you, you stay in Mark 2, or you can try and keep up with me on the other places, but Mark chapter 1, verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on Shabbat, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Well, teaching's allowed on Shabbat. But still, there's an awful lot of work that goes into the teaching, and that's what he began to do. And then in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says he entered again into a synagogue when a man was there, a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Isn't that ridiculous? And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up, come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on Shabbat, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Are you kidding me? The man's got a withered hand and I can't heal him. So Jesus does right there on the Sabbath. And they were incensed. How dare you? Or Mark chapter 6, verse 2, which says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. And the implication was he had been performing miracles on Shabbat. And then over in Luke chapter 13, now you can stay in Mark 2 or try and keep up with me, but Luke chapter 13 tells us in verse 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on Shabbat, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on Shabbat, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on Shabbat untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should not have been released from this bond on Shabbat? And he said this, and all his opponents were being <laughs> humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Or over in Luke chapter 14, it happened when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on Shabbat to eat bread. They were watching him closely, and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy 
is a painful swelling in ankles, hands, and feet, and often it's seen in a bloated face with goopy eyes. It's a horrible illness. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on Shabbat or not? And of course, you know what they did? They kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on Shabbat? And they could make no reply to this. On another Shabbat, John chapter 5, we're told that Jesus healed a man who for 38 years had been lying lame at the pools of Bethesda. And the Pharisees never would have known, by the way, probably would not have heard that this had happened, except that Jesus told the man to pick up his pallet and carry it home, and that was forbidden on Shabbat. So they see this poor little man who was once lame, now walking, carrying his pallet with a little, I'm sure, a little extra hitch in his giddy-up. And they see this, what's going on here? Well, I was, I was healed by, you know, Jesus. He, he told me to do the, take my pallet home. So I'm taking my pallet home because it's been a long time since I've taken my pallet home. And then they're all over him. And then they try to find out what's going on with Jesus. And in John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on Shabbat. And you know what he said? My father is working until now. And I myself am working, totally freaking them out because the implication, God's at work here. God's working. Another Shabbat, John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's blind from birth. And it becomes a big theological debate. And in some of the Pharisees, John chapter 9, verse 16, were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep Shabbat. But the others were saying, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. They're having a Bible conference over what's going on here, a big debate. And Jesus was simply teaching the theology of compassion and grace, simply healing people where healing was needed. Look now at Mark chapter 2. In verse 23, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on Shabbat and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And you know what they were doing according to the 39 categories? They were reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, and selecting all at the same time. They were in violation of five categories of Shabbat as they walked through the field and decided to get a little fast food. That was fast food in the day. You know, you didn't have a McDonald's or an In-N-Out to stop into your traveling. You just walk through a grain field and grab a little grain, chew it up, it's kind of gum-like. Doesn't taste very good, but it provides a little nutrition. And so they're just doing this, but they're in violation according to Pharisaical tradition of five categories of Shabbat all at once. In verse 24, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on Shabbat? Eating grain. How dare they? And he said to them, verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and, he is, and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him? And the story happened, and we, don't, we didn't even know when we read the story of David going into the tabernacle at Nob and asking the priest, you got anything to eat? Well, all we have is the, you know, we got the showbread, the, the holy bread on, on the table of showbread. That, that's, that's all we have. And the priest would take it off every day, and the priest would eat it and then put fresh bread out. And David said, well, that looks good. We'll take some of that and a Coke. You know, no. Well... <laughs> We'll take some of that bread, that, that would be fine. And what's interesting is the story is told in the Hebrew scriptures and there is no statement of whether or not that was okay. The story is just told as is. And all the way from that point to when Jesus now uses the example, we had no idea how God felt about David and his boys eating the consecrated bread. You know how God felt about it? Just fine, they were hungry, they needed to eat. Give them the bread. In the parallel narrative, of this same story, Matthew adds that Jesus said in Matthew chapter, five, chapter 12, verse 5, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple break the Sabbath? 
and are innocent. Because the priests still have to go about the temple work. They're still moving throughout the temple. They are in violation of the rest that is called for for all the rest of Israel because the temple work was never done. And Jesus said, but I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. Someone greater than the temple was there. The point of all this is that Jesus throughout his ministry he only violated the humanistic, legalistic, nose-to-the-grindstone, pick-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps view of the Sabbath. The human sinful perspective of Shabbat, which completely misses that Shabbat is not just about stopping, ceasing, and resting. Shabbat is about resting in the Lord, resting in the presence of God. And Jesus said to them, Mark 227, Shabbat was made for man and not man for Shabbat. Even as the Jews recognized this precious treasure of God given to us, given to people, it's made for us. We weren't made for these laws. We weren't made to keep these things. And then Jesus said, verse 28, so the son of man is Lord even of Shabbat. How many healings, how many teachings and acts of love on Shabbat would it take for them to understand that the rest was about him? That the invitation was to come take your rest in me. And the Jewish leaders, they were the ones, they were the ones with the real withered hands. The Jewish leaders were the ones who were bent and spiritually oppressed, bloated by pride, blind, lame, starved, for the very word that they professed to keep, missing the whole thing because they were not resting in the Lord, they were resting on their laurels. They were resting on their good works, on their self-righteousness, on their own pretentious piety. They turned Shabbat into a laborious work of legalism rather than learning to rest by faith in the Lord God and his Christ. And the Hebrew pastor puts it all together. Hebrews chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because, listen, because it was not united by faith in those who heard, for we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. Verse nine, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now we can read that two ways. He's talking about Israel. There remains a Sabbath rest for Israel because Israel at that point and even to this day still had not comprehended the heart of the Sabbath, which was rest in God, rest in the Lord, rest in his Messiah. They didn't understand it then. The Hebrew pastor says that's the problem. They haven't entered it. There remains a Shabbat for the people of God, but that can also be applied to any one of us here today. Does there remain a Shabbat for you? Is there yet a rest you have not entered? Stressing and striving and struggling in this world, in this season? <laughs> Cheryl said to me the other day as I was talking to her about this, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little stressed out. She said, why? And I said, because I gotta teach on the Sabbath. She said, you know what's interesting to me? God's given us a five-month Sabbath and most people have missed it. I went, wow, wow. A lot of us have been striving too much to even recognize God's hand in this. And the Lord's saying, I'm gonna give you a break. I want you to pause. Oh, but Lord, what, what about my job? I got, I got it, what about my income? <laughs> Remember the efficiency of the Sabbath is resting in him. The provision is his. The peace, the calm, it's his. Does there remain a Sabbath rest for you this morning? For the one who has entered 
his rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Are you resting in him or are you trying to rest control of your life? Are you at peace with Jesus? Are you fighting to control your life and your destiny, struggling against him or resting in him? It's so funny to me, it's just ironic. Years ago, I was in a place of, of high stress and busyness and, and spinning plates in my life. It just felt like, man, everything that could possibly be going on was going on and I was trying to manage it all, all at the same time. I had three kids. I had no idea how easy my life was at the time. The church was young, the fellowship here was, was young and we were in the midst of building a house and I was teaching Exodus chapter 20 verses eight through 11 and not sure how to do it. And it's so funny, trying to explain this commandment and how it worked in today's driven world a decade and a half ago. And at that time, my wife said to me, and I wrote it down, Sabbath matters most when life is hard. Sabbath matters most when life is hard. Again, I had no idea what it would be like when we came around the horn to talk about Shabbat again in Exodus 20 as we are this morning. But Sabbath matters most when life is hard. When the weight of the world is sitting heavy on your shoulders, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. When our fears, imagined or real, are piling up all around us, Jesus says, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. And even when the stress is oh so good, everything's going right, you're banging on all cylinders, your ministry, your heart, your life, it's all good, you're pumped up, you're powering along on mission, even then Jesus says, Mark 6, 31, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And the implication to the apostles that day was very clear, come away and rest in me. Come take your rest with me. I want to say it again. The deep, deep love of God is best realized in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, when we take our rest in him. Man, take a day a week and rest in Jesus. Maybe more often than not, than that, because Shabbat is loving God, it is resting in him. Back in 1872, the Quaker poet John Greenleaf Whittier wrote a profound poem. I encourage you to look it up, Google it. It's fascinating, the, the poem itself called The Brewing of Soma. The Brewing of Soma. But this poem, the latter half of it, it takes him all the way to get to the 11th verse of the poem before you find out what he's really talking about. Talk about these pagans and this pagan brew that gets people kind of stoned and, and hallucinogenic and, and for these frenzied festivals. And then he comes down and suddenly all of a sudden you understand the heart. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In pure lives thy service find in deeper reverence praise. He says, oh, Sabbath rest of Galilee. O calm of hills above where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our striving cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Jesus is the Lord of Shabbat. Will you enter in? with him.
Lord, this is my prayer today, and it's what I need to hear, is that we have a time of entering into rest with you. A rest that would define, Father, not only the week before and the week after, but would define our very lives as a people who find our peace in Jesus Christ. Lord, you've taken me down this road long enough to show me all my strivings and all my strugglings, those things do exhaust me. But resting in you, taking our peace from you, moving in your presence and in that calm, breathing in your spirit, Lord, this not only makes us fruitful, but it keeps us at peace. And I pray this peace for our whole fellowship. I pray this peace in this season because this season has stressed us out. I don't think there's a person here who hasn't been affected negatively at some point by all that's going on in the world right now. And Lord Jesus, we need your rest. We need the Shabbat of the Lord of the Sabbath. And I pray supernaturally this morning that your spirit will overwhelm us and come into our hearts and our minds and calm our spirits, Lord, and help us rest in you. In Jesus' name.